Also on Monday, our students started a backyard Bible study at Greenleaf Trailer Park. Uh, that went all week long. On Tuesday, we had four teams go out on visitation here, which is a wonderful ministry. I encourage you to get involved in that, going out and seeing people, uh, visitors, people who have fallen away from the church or just maybe need somebody to visit them. Also on Tuesdays, every Tuesday, we have a group of guys who go out soul winning in the city. On Wednesday, uh, I just took part in my third week with the students in evangelism training. I absolutely love that. It's awesome. Y'all enjoying that? Act like you're excited about it, at least for me. There we go. All right. We're good. <laughs> All right. We're going out in a couple of weeks to a fishing trip. Uh, we're going to the football game where we're going to be out sharing the gospel with students. So I'm looking forward to that. On Thursday, we were supposed to have an outreach event, uh, back to school night at the, I guess, White Bank, which is happening. And that got postponed because they didn't think it was going to clear up in time because of the weather. So we're doing that this Thursday night. But the students had enough faith that it would clear up. And so we still had the backyard Bible study that day where 30, student, 30 children uh, were shared the gospel, and they were given these salvation bracelets. And that was pretty awesome to be a part of that. And on Friday, we wrapped up the backyard Bible study with an ice cream social, and then we gave away free Bibles to, to kids that did not have one. What an awesome week sharing the gospel and literally leaving the church. And that was, that was so, so uh, uplifting for me and my spirit to see us out there doing that. But we must not be content I think there's much work to be done in the city. We must not be content with where we are. We need to be totally committed to the Lord, and that is to do whatever the Lord wants us to do, to go out and spread, spread his word throughout all, all the kingdom. So are we going to be a body of believers that is content with where we are as a church? Or are we going to be totally sold out for the Lord and do what he wants us to do? And so this morning, when we look at this passage, I want you to really see what it means to be sold out for the Lord and I'm a little old school on things, and so I'm going to ask you if you're able to to stand and honor reading God's word at this time as we get ready to start the service. Acts 8, verse 25, I'm reading from the ESV. Now when they had testified and spoken to the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For the life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road when they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And he, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and saw the eunuch no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through it as he preached the gospel to all the towns 
until he came to the last one. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to come and preach here today. Lord, it's been a busy week, and I just ask you right now that you just empty me of myself, Lord, and just fill me up with the Spirit. Let me proclaim your word boldly, Lord, and just pray that, that their hearts will be changed here today in this congregation, Lord. And I just pray if someone in this congregation today does not know you as their Lord and Savior, today will be the day that they change your life for all eternity. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. You may be seated. When we look at the story of Philip, we see somebody who is completely sold out for the Lord. I mean, he had plenty of reasons not to be obedient. And if you look in verse 3, we'll see one of the first reasons when people come up with or not to witness. And in verse 3, we see persecution happening. Saul, who we later know as Paul, was ravaging the church. He was going uh, from house to house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Now, did that stop Philip? It moved him from where he was onto Samaria from Jerusalem, but he did not stop because of the fear of persecution. He kept on doing because he knew that would not be an excuse. And I think about that. Here in the United States, we really don't have that level of persecution. That's something that we don't face, but it does happen across the world. And I put in the, in the handout sheet today, persecution.org. If you go to that website, you literally see people who are being persecuted every day for sharing the gospel. One such person is Brian Cartarelli. There's a picture of him. Him and nine other Christian medical aid workers were killed recently on a medical aid mission. Brian just recently graduated from James Madison University. He felt the Lord calling him over to Afghanistan on a short-term mission trip. And he kept, he kept going and extending his term because he was enjoying the Lord's work. And he was killed in a senseless act of violence last week. Folks, that's spiritual warfare. That's persecution. So we should not use that as an excuse why we should not share the gospel. We must be obedient to the Lord and what he would have us to do. The second reason that we'll come up with sometimes is that we're too busy to witness. If you look in verse 5 and verse 6 of chapter 8, we'll see that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to them. And, and some translations of verse 6 says the multitudes were coming to the Lord. I mean, he was too busy to leave what he was doing in the ministry he was doing and be obedient to the Spirit and go somewhere where he didn't know what was going to happen. And I looked up multitudes. I was trying to figure out how many people that he was able to be used by to lead to the Lord. I looked up multitudes in my new logo software, the high dollar thing, and I was Googling it and trying to figure out uh, the Greek translation, and I finally figured out that multitudes means a lot. He was witnessing to a lot of people, and a lot of people were coming to the Lord because of his ministry. I think sometimes we can use that excuse that we get too busy to witness. And I was literally put to my own self to task on this. I'm blessed to be part of an organization called Cornerstone Business Builders, where we, we work with Christian business owners, teaching them how to, to grow their business from the inside out by putting Christ first in their lives. And me and my, uh, Paul and my life, Andy Kuhn, started this ministry about two and a half years ago. And we take turns doing devotions. And one week, Andy uh, wrote a devotion called Take Time to Care. And so we went to the thing, and I went to my assignment, and I shared the devotion with him. We prayed, and I went and picked up Andy for a very busy day on the road doing real estate appraisals. And we were jam-packed. We had one more stop, one more stop in Powhatan. It was supposed to be a vacant house, and then we could have 30 minutes for lunch. That's all we had. We were rolling. We didn't have time to stop. And I pull up to this vacant house, and two people were walking down from the front porch. I thought to myself, man, this house is supposed to be vacant. 
I realized that the Lord put them there for a reason. As we were walking down, uh, getting out the car, we realized that they were Mormons, and they were going door to door. And I thought to myself once, are we going to take time to care? This is a moment, are we going to be simply hearers of the word, or are we going to be doers of the word? And quite frankly, I don't know how I would have done it if, if Andy wasn't there. Because, you know, a lot of times you can make an excuse or justify if you're by yourself. And especially when you're dealing with the fat man's lunchtime. You don't want to mess with that, I'm just saying. So we had 30 minutes to go, and so we had to make a decision. Were we going to be obedient to the Lord at that moment in time? And finally, we stopped, and we shared with them polite give and take and what we believe the fallacies of, of their view of the, of the Bible is. And I'd like to tell you that we had this great experience that day when they were converted and they realized the error of their ways. But after about 30, 45 minutes, I can't even remember how long we sat there, Andy. Um, I do know that we pretty much missed lunch. But you know what? I didn't need physical food that day. I needed spiritual food. And that's what was important, the spiritual nourishment. And we got up and we, we left and we went on to our next stop. But it really started to hit me, and that devotion has hit me a lot. It makes me realize that if we're not out there sharing the true gospel, somebody else is out there send, sending the false message, knocking on the doors, telling people and confusing people about what it means to be saved. Last time I checked, there's only one way to be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. And we need to be out there leaving the church and sharing the gospel. And it's even more than that. It's not so much the other denominations that are going out there and, and being obedient to their denomination's calling. But what about the children and the places that we go to that don't have fathers in their houses? Their mothers have to work two or three jobs and so they're latchkey kids and stay at home. And they're just looking for somebody to love them. They're just looking for somebody to show that they care. And if we're not on those street corners sharing the gospel to them, somebody will be telling them that they love them. It might be somebody from a gang. It might be a drug dealer saying, if you sell drugs for me, I'll love you. They're just looking for somebody to care. So church, are we going to be content with where we're at? Are we going to leave the church and share the gospel to everybody? That's the choice that we have to make. We cannot use the excuse that we're too busy. Thirdly, it might not always be convenient to witness. When we see in verse 26, that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now imagine if an angel of the Lord came to me and spoke to me, that I would be obedient to that. But folks, he was asking him to go from Jerusalem to Gaza to a desert place when things were going well. I think about sometimes we're going to have to go out of our way to witness to people. It's not always going to be easy, but we can either choose to be content with where we're at or committed to do the Lord's will. We also might have to witness to some unlikely people. I put on there, you meant that person? Imagine if the Lord asked you to do somebody that you really don't like that much and witness to that person. You mean that person? You ever have a relative come over you only see once a year that you really don't like? Doesn't happen to my family, but you know that you, that you could do it and witness to. The Lord might be calling you to witness to that person. It might be somebody you've had a conflict with. It might be somebody, you might get asked to speak to a representative, a senator. Who knows? You look at Philip here. Philip's case was an Ethiopian eunuch. It was just not any person it was a person with great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And he had charge of all of her treasures and come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. So here is Philip going up to someone of a different culture, someone that was likely surrounded by guards, someone who was in a completely different social class and financial status than him. Did he make an excuse? Was he worried about the possible persecution? Was he too busy? Was he too inconvenienced? No, he was simply going to be committed to what the Lord would have him do in his life. And when we're ready to stop making excuses, then we can see where the Holy Spirit can work through us to accomplish the Lord's will. 
It might not happen over, overnight. You ever had those instances in your life when you're like, oh, man, I should have stopped and talked to that person? It happens to all of us. We're not always keenly aware to what the Spirit wants us to do in our lives, but we simply must notice that the Spirit will work in our hearts. But also, not only is the Spirit working in our hearts, it's already laying the groundwork in the hearts of the people that we'll be crossing paths with. I constantly say it's not about us, it's about Him. We have to realize that the Spirit has laid the groundwork, and sometimes we might be just the first seed in that process for someone, but we simply must be obedient. So let's look at how the Spirit is already at work in this place. You see, the eunuch was placed there by God. Do you think that this just happened by circumstance? The angel of the Lord came to Philip, told him to stop what he was doing, go to a desert road in the middle of the heat at noon, and he didn't say who you're going to meet when you got there. Do you think that the Ethiopian eunuch was there by chance? See, God placed him there for a purpose. We need to realize that God has placed each of us where no one else has been placed. Each of us have a unique set of relationships that no one else has the exact same relationships as you. You are in this church today for a purpose, for a reason. When you leave here today and you go out to eat or you go to a relative's house or wherever you go, the people that you meet have been placed there by God for a purpose. You have to look and think about that when you go. Now, some of you might say, I'll go everywhere with my spouse. But there's no way that your spouse can sit in the same space as you at the same time. There might be somebody in front of you that the Lord wants you to reach out to, or there might be somebody beside your spouse that you need to reach out to. We simply have to be obedient to what the Lord's calling for us. Do you think the Ethiopian eunuch was expecting to see Philip and vice versa? We must listen to the voice of the Spirit, and it might be a stranger that walks right past us. I think about uh, last year when I preached here, I talked about uh, going to witness to a lady who was dying of cancer. And we went with a witnessing partner, and we went, and she accepted Christ, and she died two weeks later. But on the way home, we stopped at the convenience store. And I got a drink, and I got back in the car, and I missed an opportunity. I walked past three teenagers who were just sitting in the parking lot. But I thank the Lord that my witnessing partner at that time was obedient to the Spirit. See, I thought we were done for the night. Apparently, the Lord had other plans, and I was so thankful for that, that he did. I got out the car, and we went up, and my partner, Buck, was already witnessing to this person, these three guys. About 20 minutes later, these three teenagers accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior just because somebody was sensitive to the Spirit and was obedient to what the Lord wanted him to do in his life. We also must realize here and be that the Ethiopian eunuch was seeking God. He was on his way from Jerusalem where it says in the passage that he came to worship. He was literally seeking God. He made a personal choice to seek true religion. He was a God-fearer and legitimately seeking God. Not only was he seeking God, he was demonstrating desire to know God by reading the passage of Isaiah. I think a lot of us can figure out uh, or wonder why or how do we know the passage was being read. Well, back then, they read their passages aloud, and that's how Philip knew what he was, he was talking about. Um, I thought about one time with my daughter. We were on a plane trip coming, coming from Ohio, and she was about five years old at the time, and, and she was reading to us aloud. You know, we were trying to like, hey, be quiet, be quiet. There's other people around. I said, read to yourself. And so she started reading aloud to herself. I didn't think about that, but that's natural for some people, and that's what happened. So he was making a personal choice and a desire to know the Lord. 
But fourthly, he understood and knew that something was wrong, something was missing in his own walk. He sat there in the chariot when Philip heard him reading the scriptures from Isaiah 53. See, he had all the money he needed, all the prestige, the guards, the Bible. He had everything that he needed but a personal relationship with the Lord. See, folks, you can have all the fame in the world, that won't get you to heaven. You can be a billionaire, that won't get you to heaven. You can have all the cars, you can have all the earthly things, but if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have nothing. And that's when we have to realize he was generally realizing that there was something empty in his life. And then we see that he was humble enough to ask for help. Remember last month when I was here preaching, talking about the issue of pride? I think a lot of us think that we should already be somewhere else in our walk. We should be further along in our walk. And, and some, some people who are not saved or haven't been baptized, they think, man, I should have already done that by now. So they, they don't want to tell anybody. But we see here that the Ethiopian eunuch was humble enough to allow someone else to help him. He had all the prestige, he had all the power, and it even took him more to humble himself to realize that he needed help. And he was open for someone else to share the gospel with him. That is when our part comes in. See, the Spirit's already laid the groundwork. Our job is to go where God sends us when he wants to send us. If the Spirit speaks to you, you first must realize that the Spirit is, in fact, speaking to you. We must not be content. We must be committed. You may be involved in one of the greatest ministries here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. You may be a Sunday school teacher for 25 years and know that it's thriving and it's doing good, but maybe God is calling you somewhere else, and you need to be obedient to what the Lord is calling you to do in that ministry. For me, I pray that the Lord has called me to preach and go out and evangelize people. But I would like to think if the Lord calls me to work with the three-year-olds that I would do that. I pray he does not do that, very much so. But I would like to think if he called me to do that, I would be obedient. But my prayers would be one-sided on that. Simply, we must have our yes on the table. For Philip, he was part of a thriving ministry. He probably could not think of one human reason to leave where he was to go where he was guaranteed to meet no one except that the Lord asked him to. One of my favorite passages is Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. See, it's not up to us to dictate to the Lord what we want, but it's up to the Lord to tell us what he has in store for us. We need to allow the Spirit to work through us. A lot of times we get worked up. A lot of people don't witness because they don't know what to say. They really don't. I mean, I get, I get nervous every time I come up here to preach, and I eventually got to let go and let God. And that's the key thing is you let God dictate the conversation at hand. And one of the neatest things about this passage is in verse 29 and 30. The Spirit spoke to Philip, and he said, Go near the chariot. Now, what do you think you would do if you're Philip? Saul was just, you know, just persecuting him, trying to kill him. He's in the middle of the heat, but he finally understands what the Spirit's doing. And he's over there, almost got killed, and now the Spirit's telling him to go up to a chariot that's surrounded by guards. I mean, I'd be telling the Lord, dude, do you might remember Saul that tried to kill me a few minutes ago? Now you want me to do this? What did Philip do? He ran. He did not wait. He ran because he knew that the Lord had called him to do it. And he ran up to the chariot being obedient to the Spirit. He was bold and sensitive to what was happening. It reminds me, we must meet people where they're at. I thank the Lord people met me where I was at. Just somebody who needed to know the Lord. You know, sometimes I think we can speak above people. We can speak below people. We just need to be honest and see where they're at, meet them there and disciple them from that point. Here Philip walked up to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no. He said, okay, that's where we're going to start. And he gathered from there explaining the passages. That's the most absolute awesome thing that can ever happen when you start 
witnessing to somebody and you see the desire and the eagerness in their life and their heart to know the Lord. This passage was from Isaiah 53, 7 to 8, and we know that this verse talks about the Messiah, but back then there was three possible interpretations that they were arguing about. So Philip shared the gospel, and he kept the topic on salvation. I think a lot of times, I mean, there's nothing like for me, like when I was in Virginia State a couple of months ago, and I asked that gentleman I was witnessing to, how do you get saved? Matter of fact, it happened this week. I asked somebody I was talking to, I said, can you earn your way to heaven? He said, yes. Everything else stopped at that moment in time. Because we know it's only by God's grace through faith you're saved. It's not of works. You know what I mean? And so we keep the topic on salvation at that point in time. And then after we get them to that point of decision, we must disciple them. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, All authority in heaven and earth has been granted to me. So therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely... I'll be with you always to the ends of the ages. That's the point. And sometimes you look at what our resulting impact is. It's nothing more exciting than seeing a person come to Christ when their life has changed in the infancy stages and when they finally just turn their life over to the Lord and realize that their sins are given and they have purpose in their life and their eternal destination is secured. It's nothing more exciting than that. But on ourself, one of the four core values of Mount Pleasant is making witnessing a way of life. When you see someone come to the Lord, you simply want to do more of it. You cannot believe when you can make an impact on somebody that the Lord can use you to impact somebody's life. You simply want to do more of it. Sometimes you don't get to see the impact. You're only that first seed. That's okay. You just need to be obedient to what the Lord has for you in your life. Let me tell you a story today as I start to wrap up about Mordecai Ham. I learned a lot about Mordecai Ham this week. I think we got a picture of him. Um, Mordecai Ham was an evangelist born in the late 1800s. When he was uh, 16, he became a superintendent of the Sunday school where he was. Jim Ponder, if you're here, 16 years old, going and doing that. And then he started studying, a very smart man. He was able to sit for the bar exam, but he was too young to sit for the bar exam. He had his own private tutor. So then he got into a traveling salesman for a grocery concern. Then he worked on a crew at a pitcher a lodging place. And finally, in 1900, he turned his life over to the Lord and says, I want to do what you want me to do. He sold his business, got a loan, and went into the ministry. He was sitting there in 1901 at a church, and he was asked to come up, spot to preach right now. It'd be like if I asked you, Jim, to come up and finish the sermon today. Just step up and do it. And I know you can't. That's what happened to him. And then, then somebody else from that day asked him to come and preach. And then it's that point in time that he established a pattern for his ministry. When he would go to a town... This is awesome. He would actually ask who is the biggest sinner in the town and take me to him. That was his ministry. That's how he did it. And he was feared, man. He was feared. People didn't want to see him come. And he went to this one atheist, and the atheist saw him coming in this town, and he literally ran and went into the woods after him. You ever been scared of a preacher before? Not just, you know, if you're not tithing, but I'm talking about, like, you know, totally scared to see a preacher coming. This atheist was totally scared for the preacher, and he ran into the woods. You know what Mordecai did? What do you think he did? He went after him into the woods and pulled him out of the woods. And the atheist said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to me? He said, I'm going to ask God to kill you today. And don't tell Pastor Curtis I'm asking God to kill anybody here today. But that's what he said to him. He said, I'm going to ask God to kill you. He goes, if you don't believe God exists and there is no God, my prayers can't hurt you. But if there is a God, you deserve to die for making atheists out of your children and grandchildren. 
All of a sudden, you ever heard there's no such thing as an atheist on a bumpy plane ride? Right? They're all seeking prayer. The atheist said, please don't pray that way. He said, okay, then I'll ask God to save you. That's what I'm going to do. He shared the gospel with him, and before that day was up, him and 40 of his family members were saved and baptized because he went out and shared the gospel. He was not content. Now, this was in 1901, 1902. He was not content with what was happening. Actually, over the course of his 30-year ministry, over 300,000 people made confessions to the Lord for him. 300,000 people. Would you be content with that? And knows what happened back then in the moonshine days and start, things started happening. People started trying to take him out. They literally beat him up, bloodied him. He was persecuted. I mean, he was so busy. He was tired. He was worn out, spiritual warfare to the nth degree. But in around 1934, 33 years later, tired, not even wanting to go to this revival, I don't believe, he was obedient to the Lord. And he stepped up and he went to the revival and there was a, a, a gentleman that day who had heard about how Mordecai was and didn't want to look him in the face. So what he did was he actually came and crawled into the choir loft so he didn't have to face Mordecai face to face. And Mordecai started off the sermon that day. He said, there's a great sinner in this house tonight. That man in the choir turned to his friend and said, my mother must have called and told him I was coming. <laughs> True story. That day... That boy came from the choir loft, and that day Billy Graham was saved. You never know whose life you can touch if you don't give up, if you're just not content with where you're at. How many lives have been touched through the ministry of Billy Graham? What if Mordecai would have said, you know, I've been doing this, I've been almost killed, I've been persecuted, it's time to stop. How many people wouldn't have entered the kingdom of heaven? You might be witnessing to the next Billy Graham, It can happen. We simply must have our yes on the table and be committed. And I want to know, are you committed to do that here, church? Are you committed to do whatever it takes to share the gospel? There are people within a sound of the church bell here going to hell right now. And we need to go out and share the gospel with them. Quite frankly, I need some Jesus freaks. I need some people that are willing to go out and do anything that, that is called upon them for the Lord. If you're willing to do that, I want you to come see me.